Our scripture, our scripture for tonight comes from Revelation 3, 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful and the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. The... Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the, what the Spirit says to the churches. Please pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for this day and for this time that you've given us to be able to come together tonight and worship you and learn more about you. I pray that you'll open up our hearts tonight to to hear your word through Brian. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, Anna Grace. Uh, Yeah, welcome to RUF. My name is Brian Sorgenfry. If I've not had the chance to meet you, uh, I'm the campus minister here and just really glad you chose to spend your Wednesday night with us. We, We always hope... The, no matter, man, this guy, wow, whatever, whatever your week looked like, tired, frustrated, doubting, excited, that this really is a place that you can kind of come with questions and examine the truth claims of Scripture. And what we're doing every week is we're going through the book of Revelation, which I realize, uh, I don't know your background with that book, a lot of times it scares people, but Revelation is giving to, it's, it's given to a group of churches in uh, the first century that are confused, that are hurting, that are being persecuted, and it keeps telling them again and again, I'm not concealing something, I'm revealing something. And I'm telling you, things are not as they seem. There's more going on than simply you can see with your eyes and touch with your hands. And I've been proposing kind of every week that if Revelation enabled these first century churches to grow amidst persecution and doubt and questions that perhaps it's what we need uh, amidst our doubts, confusion, and even just, I'll say, boredom. Um, So here's what I want you to consider. Um, Consider uh, consider why we love somebody like Michael Scott from The Office, okay? My friend uh, has a word that, he literally made it up called fontrum. Because he said, we all know this experience where you begin to watch somebody in real life that I would say Michael Scott personifies that is very confident in a situation. But they're confident about something that they're completely unaware that they lack. Right? So Michael Scott, you know, it's a basketball game. There he is in his tank top, utterly confident in his abilities. Yet as you watch him, you realize he's completely unaware of the kind of basketball player he is. This is what makes those cringe moments in like American Idol and you can't look away. This person thinks he can sing. He actually can't. That's Fontrum. Like I kind of love it. I kind of hate it. It's cringeworthy. I can't stop watching. And it even happens, right? We, we've all done this and we've witnessed it in other people. 
I think that is a deep fear that we all have. I think it's a deep fear at Ole Miss, that there's something I might be unaware of about myself that others see. I think it's one of the reasons where some of us are like obsessed with things like the Enneagram, right? Because the Enneagram, pro Enneagram, I can finally understand myself and understand others, and I don't have to be unaware anymore. And I won't find myself in those situations. Okay, if that rings true at all, this passage in Revelation 3, this part of Revelation that Anna Grace read, it's, it's actually unique. It's kind of the only passage where uh, John isn't kind of getting this vision behind the veil of reality and showing you the spiritual world that is real. Jesus says, write a letter to seven churches and, and tell them this. And, the, and this is a good time to say that the, uh, I'm going to be a little teaching. Numbers in Revelation are actually very important. This is going to keep coming up. It was actually seven churches, but this number seven is symbolic to the first century Jewish here. Seven was the number of completion. So when it's seven letters to seven churches, it's real churches, but also it would have meant this to them. This is for all the churches and all the worlds at all times. So what is true for this church of Laodicea, it's also a word for us in 2022 in Oxford, Mississippi. And what Jesus is saying is, listen to me. I am faithful and true. I'm truth itself. If you will, if you will listen to what I say, I'm the objective lens that'll make you aware of who you really are. It'll bring real self-awareness. It'll make you aware of, of reality itself so you don't have to live confused anymore. So here's the deal. If you want awareness tonight, Jesus gonna, Revelation 3 is going to say you need to be aware of your outward effect on others. You need to be aware of your inward poverty. And you need to be aware of what's most needed. Those are the three things. Outward effect on others, inward poverty, most needed, okay? First, outward effect on others. Of all the, the churches, if you were just kind of read Revelation 2 and 3 in one sitting, um, it would become apparent that Laodicea, it's the most severe letter. It's the only letter that Jesus doesn't start by saying something positive and commending them. Like in other words, he'll, he'll say something like, it's good that you have endured, or it's good that you recognize false teaching. But here, with Laodicea, he just cuts to the chase and starts rebuking them. And that's, if you would read it all in one sitting, it would make you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is so bad about this church that Jesus seems to have nothing commendable to say and just cuts to the chase? I, you know, I don't know, it was like sexual immorality or violence or false teaching. It's none of those. It's being lukewarm. What does that mean? What does it mean for a church, which is the people of God, to be lukewarm? All right, that's where I think I've got to deconstruct a little bit. Growing up in the South, where I did, I would hear lots of sermons on Revelation 3 at evangelistic meetings that would say something like, Jesus says he'd rather you be hot or cold, just not lukewarm or he'll spit you out of his mouth. Hot being be in love with, be passionate for Jesus. Cold being kind of hate him, uh, reject him, but just never be lukewarm, kind of sitting on the fence, indifferent. Th like that's what uh, kind of Jesus will, will, will spit you out of. And there's this kind of, on, kind of on spot appeal to get serious about Jesus tonight, be on fire for him, or just have the honesty and walk away cold. The problem with that is it's just not what lukewarm means at all. In this passage. It, first of all, it, it squares nothing with the rest of Jesus' life and death and message. 
You never find anyone that Jesus interacts with in the Gospels that's kind of tepid and unsure and has weak faith that Jesus says, you know what, forget it and walk away. Actually, he draws near to those people. He draws near to people that are very tepid and unsure. You never see Jesus say, I'd rather you hate me and reject me than kind of like me. So that can't be it. And second of all, you, we, this is important for any kind of Bible passage. You, we need to understand who the first hearers were. And the first hearers were the Laodiceans. And we actually have a good history about what Laodicea was like. Here's what's interesting. It was a town that was very wealthy in between um, uh, a town called Heropolis. It was six miles away. You know what Heropolis had? Hot springs that were well known for comfort and refreshment and healing. And then 10 miles to the east, I believe, uh, was Colossa. And you know what Colossa was known for? Having these cold, refreshing springs that everybody would drink from. But Laodicea was in the middle of it, and it had a river that was polluted, muddy, and lukewarm. That if you tried to drink it, it would actually make you sick, so you had to spit it out, so they had to bring their water in from elsewhere. So when the Laodiceans would have heard these words, they would not have thought, okay, cold is like negative and hatred and warm is good and passion. They actually knew cold water and hot water were both good. They both were achieving their purpose of either healing and comfort or refreshing. But lukewarm would have been associated with their river, which was dirty, unusable, didn't comfort, nor could you drink it. It just was kind of there. It just existed. That's what Jesus is saying here. He is saying, for those of you who claim to be my people, right? This is written to the church. It's not written to the world out there. He says, you claim to be a Christian, but when people interact with you, they don't feel refreshed. They don't feel healed. They don't feel comforted. They don't feel restored. Instead, you're just kind of there. That's it. Jesus says, if people's experience with you brings no kind of life or spiritual refreshment, if no one who is broken and hurting kind of finds you a restful place to be encouraged, he says, that's it. Like What makes Jesus' stomach turn is when Christians, who call themselves Christians, even if you have great passion, when people around you experience something the opposite of Jesus. They experience something that's unlike him. That's lukewarmness. So, uh, Alex Wallington, a friend of mine, is a campus minister in California. Actually, much of this comes from him, but he had this illustration to help. Think about a person who's just learning to drive. All right, I'm, I have a daughter who's about to be 14, so we're starting to think about what's it going to mean when she drives. And, right, when you first learn, it's like uh, in a parking lot or in an isolated neighborhood, and you're learning brake pedal, you know, accelerator, blinker. You're, running, you're learning all the rules. And so if you just learn the rules and you're like, I've got it, I know how to drive, there's a real sense where it's like, mm, you really don't. Because you don't know how to drive until you can drive in traffic with other people aware of them. Right? Knowing the rules and knowing the correct thing to do isn't enough. Actually, a lot of times that's a bad drive which I experienced yesterday, okay? So if, you know, if I'm driving and the speed limit is 60 and there's someone in the left-hand lane 
so concerned about doing it right going 61, and there's a person in the right-hand lane also going 61, you're a bad driver. Because you're completely unaware of what's around you, even though you're like, no, I'm doing it right. I'm going 61, you know, 10 and 6. No, you're a bad driver, okay? And, and it's actually causing chaos around you. Because you're so, functioned on, am I, you're so focused on, am I doing it right, that I've become unaware of the people around me. And Jesus is saying that if, you, if we claim to follow Christ, and you want to be aware of how you're doing spiritually, he's actually saying, don't look inward. Don't look at like the checklist. Am I reading my Bible? Am I praying? Am I going to church? All those are good things. But he's saying that, that could actually make you blind. He says, dare to ask, what is the effect of my life on other people? That's the checklist. I don't mean, is there a certain number of people becoming Christians around you? I'm not saying that at all. I think that's the work of God. But I mean like the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 2. He says of Christians that we are the aroma of Christ to those who are being saved and to those who are perishing. That's what I mean. When people are around you or your group of friends or your local church, does it smell like Christ? That's the question. Is there joy? Is there fullness of life and grace and forgiveness and gentleness and obedience and trust? No. Like, what's it actually like to be around you? Do people sense that this is the good life? Is there repentance? And I would just suggest it might be a step of awareness for you if you could ask some trusted people hey how do i actually come across how do people experience me like what's the good and the bad and jesus is just saying if you want awareness look outside yourself to how it affects other people do people get a sense of refreshing from me so that's the first thing awareness uh, of, of 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 the way i affect others Second thing, the way to become uh, aware spiritually is to, is to look at my inward poverty, right? This is verse 17. This gets really interesting, I think. So I'm not saying, uh, yes, of course, self-reflection is necessary. But it's not how you would think. Because Jesus is getting them to see that the reason that they're lukewarm, the reason they don't have the aroma of Christ, is because of verse 17. They say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. What does he say? Not realizing you're wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So Jesus is saying, look, Laodiceans, when you do self-reflection, you're coming to the wrong conclusion. You're looking at yourself, you're saying, oh, I'm rich, I'm fine, I'm good. But you actually, what, what I see, what you're unaware of, is you're actually poor, naked, and wretched. And again, this is where like, knowing a little of the history of the Laodiceans will help. First of all, Laodicea was an incredibly wealthy city. This is what they were known for. So wealthy that when a huge earthquake kind of hit the Roman Empire and leveled multiple cities, there was only one city that refused the financial help of the Roman government. And they said, we got this. So here's what I thought. It's like Texas, right? Texas is the state with all the wealth and everything that, you know, we don't need anybody else's help. We've got this, right? That was Laodicea. We'll rebuild it ourselves with our wealth. Second of all, they're known for the textile industry. They made beautiful clothes, not just because, not just because they had wealth. There was apparently some kind of wool in Laodicea that was especially shiny. And so not only would they have those clothes, it exported around the world. And third, 
Laodicea was known for their medical school. They were kind of ahead of the times when it came to medical science. And specifically, this is what's interesting, there was a person there who um, was kind of making discoveries around uh, ophthalmology, right, the eyes. They discovered some kind of powder that was rumored to help your eyesight in eye disease. So when they looked at themselves, here's what they saw. We're doing great. We're rich. We're independent. We're in the envy of the world when it comes to beauty and clothes and fashion. And we're ahead of the curve in science and medicine. We can see. And Jesus says, actually, you're poor. Actually, you're naked. Actually, you're blind. Actually, you're needy. Which means what caused the lukewarmness, I don't even know if that's a word, in the church of Laodicea, is they looked at themselves and thought, we've got no problems. We've got it all together. We're awesome. Actually, we're probably the solution. But the very things that they were proud of, the very things that made them think, I'm okay, were masking the things that were wrong. Were masking the very fact that they actually were poor, they actually were broken, they actually were sinful. Because they had so much going for them, because they felt self-sufficient, they didn't feel like they needed anything. And Jesus says, that's the problem. You actually need to be aware of your own spiritual poverty. To quote John Stott, to be lukewarm is to be blind of your own condition. All right, so her story about um, a guy I know who, when he was uh, a pastor, um, actually in Memphis, there was a, uh, there's a ministry called Love in Action uh, to uh, people struggling with addiction of different substances. And they invited this pastor to attend this meeting and to just watch this kind of a group therapy session. And that particular morning, this guy started sharing some of the addiction struggles with what this pastor was not honestly used to, with kind of very explicit detail, just getting it out there. And as he would, as he would say something, he noticed some hands in the crowd would go up and they'd go back down. And then more hands would go up as he kept talking. And the session ended, and this pastor that I know looked very confused. And so the director of this uh, ministry walked up to him. And he said, are you okay? He said, no, not really. I, I don't understand what's going on. And he said, okay, here's what you don't understand. At love and action, we have one rule. When you confess your sin, when you confess what you're struggling with, if you in the crowd have ever struggled with that or done that yourself, you just got to raise your hand. Because the one thing we want people to know is that nobody ever struggles alone. And he was just like, oh, like that picture, can you imagine if you're struggling with addiction, how refreshing that would be? Like, I'm not in this alone. Like, wouldn't that be like cold water to a parched throat? This is what Jesus is saying. What keeps us from being refreshing to other people is when we are blinded to our own need for Jesus. When we think we're better than other people when we don't think we need his forgiveness as much as those people, when we think we don't need his power as much as those people. So the way that we're blinded is actually by the stuff that we're good at. We masquerade our lives with stuff that we're good at that is good, but it keeps us from seeing our poverty. So, right, how would Jesus write this letter to Ole Miss in 2022? I think he would say things like, 
you think you're fine because you're able to work different crowds of people and always fit in socially. That's great, but it's actually masking your insecurity that you're relationally all alone. And that person doesn't feel like they can tell you that she's lonely. That's the proof. You're masking it. Or he might say something like, you think that you're fine because at least I don't do that. Or that as often. And Jesus would say, you're actually not fine. That smugness that condescends to someone else, that thinks that I'm better than you, that self-righteousness is a place of blindness. You don't see your own need of mercy. You don't see your own need of sin. Maybe you say, I, you think you're fine because you're uh, having fun in college, doing whatever you want, independent, plenty of time later to settle down and do whatever after college. Jesus would say, you're actually not. It's a masquerade. It looks like you're alive, but you're actually numbing yourself. You're numbing yourself from reality, hiding the fact that you're not free, but you're actually bound to the next one weekend. I think that's how Jesus would speak to us. I'm a product of illness, okay? And all those things that we listen, right? Fun, social life, uh, great life plan, whatever. Comparing yourself to others isn't good. But all those other things are good. They're great things. They're just terrible saviors. They're terrible assessments of how you're doing before the eyes of Jesus. They actually can masquerade it. And so what Jesus, when Jesus says, I did not come for the righteous, I came for sinners, he meant it. Which means the one thing that blocks me from Jesus is not my struggles, it's not my sin, it's not my failure. What keeps me from Jesus is my pride. That's it. My lack of need. And so the one thing that Jesus requires is need. And the Laodiceans' problem is our problem because we forget that what I need is the life and death and grace of Jesus. He comes to beggars. He comes to the needy. And we don't want to be needy at all this. It doesn't work here. But it's the things that makes us miss him. So Jesus says, I'll bring awareness by looking at your effect on other people. And then I'll bring awareness as we look inwardly, but actually see what's true, that I am spiritually poor. That I'm really broken and sinful. But then lastly, he says, you will have real awareness when you receive what's most needed. This is verse 14, 18 through 22. Jesus introduces himself to this blind church, right? It's his own purpose. He says the words of Amen, the faithful and true witness. There's a reason Jesus leads with this title, I think. Because if the Laodiceans are, are self-deceived, then they need a word from the outside that is actually true that's going to break the deception. Their only hope is that something outside of them will come with kindness and truth and expose the deceit. And Jesus does it. He says, you can trust what I'm saying. And I hope this is an encouragement for us tonight. Because if you're, if you're starting to say like, oh gosh, I am kind of more messed up than I thought. I've been blind. Like, far from that being Jesus abandoning you, that is actually proof that he loves you. That is proof that he's drawing near. All right, verse 19, he's actually disciplining and reproving those he loves. He's being the faithful and true witness. Calling attention to what otherwise you would not see. Like a good doctor does, like a loving father does. That's not bad news, that's good news. Like, there, I have three kids, okay? Shelby, Annie, and Clark. Honestly, there's only three kids I love. 
There it is. Like, I know everybody else says, like, oh, I love your kids like, like, like I love mine. No, you don't. And I don't love yours like, like, like I love mine. I, I don't change other kids' di- diapers. I'll tell you this. I've never put another kid that's not mine in time out. I've never spanked another kid. Uh, why? Because, I don't know, I just want other kids to like me and think that I'm fun. <laughs> but my own kids, I actually love them enough to actually bring some sense of pain in their life, to expose things that need to change. When other kids need discipline, I just give them back to their parents and say, you do this. But not mine. I love them. And what Revelation is doing in, 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 in this uh, letter to uh, Laodicea when it begins to come, and when it begins to make me realize I am actually worse and more broken and sinful than I think, it seems like bad news. It seems like Jesus is removing himself. Revelation is saying, I'm telling you, things are not as they seem. That is Jesus pressing in. That is Jesus being faithful and true. Because as you begin to see how faithful, loving, and true Jesus is to me, that he's willing to expose me, it actually starts making you a loving and true friend to other people. Someone who is willing to be honest with your friends while, staying, while clinging in love about things that are hurting them. An enemy stabs you in the back, okay? A friend will willingly stab you in the front because they care about you. But it's not just a rebuke. Awareness is beginning to see like, that Jesus Christ is what I need. Like, he's reality. He's truth itself. And so in verse 18, he says, come to me. And then he starts saying, like, buy this stuff. You want richness? You want riches? Buy gold from me. And gold in those days was no different than today. Gold and money was was what made you feel secure. And Jesus is saying, if you'll come to me, I will give you a security that nobody can touch, that can never be taken away, because it's from me. And then he says, come to me, I will give you clothes. White garments that cover the nakedness of our shame. He actually covers you with his own perfection, his own perfect righteousness. And says, this, you want to see who you really are? Come to me and I see you as righteous. I will cover you. I'll cover all your shame. And then he says, come to me if you really want to see. I'll give you... Like, His eyes are truth itself. So as you come to Jesus, you will actually begin to see the world as it really is. Beautiful and broken. You'll see there's evil, suffering, and death. You don't have to deny that. And you'll see that God loves this world so much that he sent a son into it to heal and redeem it. And the kingdom really is going to make everything new. You will see that there's a real God who conquered sin and death on a cross and by his resurrection. And he's making all things new. And you'll begin. Here's the key. You'll see yourself through the eyes of Christ, which is what's true. And you'll see that you're dearly loved. You're actually one that's cherished. And so this is how I'll end. I want you to feel this tension, that Jesus is looking at Laodicea and saying, you have nothing, but come from me and buy. How can Jesus tell people who have nothing to come from him and buy something? This is the point. Jesus deals in one currency, and the currency is grace. He says, you, we come to Jesus, and we offer him nothing, and he gives us everything. It's all of grace. When he says, come to me, come to me for all of this, 
The reason it's free for us is because it cost him everything. Because Jesus is going to go to a cross and he is going to be naked. He is going to suffer. He is going to be blinded by the darkness that, that covers the whole earth. He is going to be poor. So that in him we can be rich, we can be forgiven, we can be clean, we can be, uh, we can be alive. That's why the passage ends with a knock. This is how I'll bring it to close. Look, again, I don't know how you heard this knock. I used to hear that these evangelistic meetings like Jesus is knocking at the door. You know, you, uh, anyway, whatever. I am. What the first century uh, people would have associated with, most likely, because what did they know? The Old Testament is the Song of Solomon. And that knocking at a door, wanting to come in, do you know what it is? The Song of Solomon is about a It's about a bride whose beloved is knocking on the door, wanting to come in and ravish her with his love and feast with her. And so look, when you begin to sense that you are lukewarm, that I'm not who I should be, Jesus is knocking and saying, I'm drawing near. I'm not not disappointed. I'm not standing with my arms crossed frustrated. I'm saying, let me in. I'm here to bring life. I'm here to love you. I'm here to forgive you. I'm here to feast with you. That's who Jesus is. That's the healing. That's the faithful and true one. And so this is the last thing I'm going to say. Y'all have heard me this illustration where there's a guy named David Ireland. This is an old book. He wrote a book called Letters to an Unborn Child. You kind of don't want to read it unless you're in an emotionally okay place. Because he, he wrote it when he found out that he had ALS, which is known as Lou Gehrig's disease, which is a life-threatening disease that just slowly deteriorates your body. And he realized his wife was pregnant with their child. And so he began to realize, I will never really know my son. And so he wrote these letters so that his son could know him, but also his main reason so that his son could know how awesome his mom was. And so there's one chapter where he said, look, He said, I want to tell you what your mom's like. He said, I hate taking a shower. Now, I can't really do it. You know, I don't have the strength. Uh, I can only kind of sit there. But what she does is she cleans me, she washes me, and then when she gets me out of the shower, she sets me in front of the mirror, and I look at myself in the mirror, and I get so angry. I look so weak. My chest is caved in. My, my, My head is bent to the side. And I'm just so disgusted with myself that I can't do anything. And he said, your mom, every time will look at me and say, stop admiring yourself in the mirror. And a few hours later, she'll put, she'll put my hand in her lap and she will look at me and say, you're the most handsome man I've ever met. I love you. And he says, somehow through, through these shared experiences, my son, and everything she's been through with me, I know that she means it. That's what your mom is like. I want you to think about that. This letter to Laodicea, it is like a mirror that is painful. It reveals things in me that I do not want to see and I wish was not there. That mirror to David Iron revealed things that he wished wasn't there. But at the same time, what did it do? It revealed the deep love of his wife. And if you will let Laodicea do this, and if you will turn and you'll see Jesus, yes, it reveals things I don't like, but it will reveal that there is someone who loves the real you, not the one you're masquerading. 
And it's the pathway to continual healing and continual joy that Christ is life. Christ is forgiveness. Christ draws near. That's my question. Do you know that this kind of faithful and true love? That's what you're invited to tonight. Let's pray. Father, we are, um, I don't know, we're weary tonight. And you tell us that you're rest. Uh, we are deceived. And you tell us your truth. Uh, we are, we're broken. And you tell us you're the healer. Uh, you are forgiveness itself. And I pray uh, that you'd bring us to see that tonight and bring that kind of joy from a faithful uh, and true lover. It is Jesus. In your son's name I pray. Amen.